Welcome to Ancient Answers, our program on dealing with current and modern challenges by referring to the words of ancient thinkers on the same subject of the human condition. I am Gordon. And I'm Shane. And welcome to Ancient Answers. Our topic today, in this episode, will be about plagues. Now, plagues is an apropos topic for this time. As we were recording this in the spring of 2020, where the world is dealing with this... Yeah. In the midst of a COVID-19 outbreak. There we go. <laughs> we have just found out that the worst calamity possible is that they've shut down all the major league sports. Yeah, hockey is postponed. We're not really sure what to do with our lives. Yeah, I'm very lost, that's for sure. So we're going to need some, <laughs> some reference to the ancients and see how do they deal with plagues <laughs> since they, uh, they're known to have a few. What did you find out there, Shane, in uh, your readings about ancient history? Oh, well... Unfortunately, humanity, there, there is a rich history of plagues and epidemics throughout history. Although, in terms of large-scale outbreaks like we're facing now, fewer than you would imagine. So there's at least some good news. It is true, because, I mean, although there is uh, some biblical stories about the ten plagues that Moses inflicted upon the ancient Egyptians, which, by the way, folks, there's absolutely no historical record to verify that. And the Egyptians never mentioned it, so we don't think it really happened. Yeah. So, sorry, sorry to the our, our religious viewers who are fans yeah, of the Old Testament. You know, in, but... in, in spite of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments <laughs> yeah. movies, we don't have any historical verification that that actually happened. Mm-hmm. Now, that not being said, we do know there was outbreaks of diseases that occurred in ancient Egypt. They mentioned about it. But the real first one was actually in Babylon, the second Babylon Empire, around the year 600 there does appear to have been at least a larger-than-average epidemic that came through. Uh, but again, not a lot of records indicate that. And we do know that it was one of the things that also was mm-hmm. attributed to biblical services and, and sources uh, as being a, a direct relation. But we just have tentative information about that one. Yeah. Now, the very first one, though. Yeah, the, the very first... So this, this is the very first sort of recorded concrete epidemic in human history that we are aware of uh, occurred in Athens in 430 BC during the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta. That's right. And we find the sources Thucydides and his great epic work Mm -hmm. uh, where he talks about what happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess, you know, from my understanding, my reading, it, uh, it, it was something the Athenians really had a difficulty figuring out why it was happening to them Mm -hmm. because they were currently under siege by their, their friends and neighbors. <laughs> yeah, their friendly neighbor at Spartans. That's right. The Spartans <laughs> were sitting at the door trying to knock down the gates because they were mad and they were fighting this war. Uh, but the Spartans... Yeah, nothing happened to them. No. They were okay. From, from the reading that I've done, the Athenian plague, actually, it looks like it uh, passed through Libya, Ethiopia, Egypt, and then into the Mediterranean where it went after Athens. And it does make sense that Athens was more affected than Sparta, because Athens was much, much more of a naval power, whereas... Oh, trading coming in. in well, yeah, ships were coming in and out. That's well, right. Exactly. Whereas Sparta was very, very much a land-based nation, and their, their military was all land-based, whereas the Athenians had their very powerful navy. Uh, and actually, despite the fact that Athens was under siege during this point in the Peloponnesian War, they were still able to transport goods in and out of the city because of their, their coastal ports. So that's probably how the plague got in in the first place. <laughs> well, it certainly had a devastating effect because it resulted in the death of the Athenian leader, mm-hmm. uh, Pericles, Pericles yeah. um, who is very famous for his great oratory works that have been recorded. Uh, and it seemed to have great a, a huge effect on the morale yes. of the Athenians, even though 
the Peloponnesian War would continue on for another 23 years. <laughs> yeah. uh, they weren't getting enough of it. They, they had to make it multi-generational, yeah. this war. Uh, but we also find that, in fact, when the Athenians also invaded Syracuse uh, over in the, uh, on uh, uh, Sicily, mm-hmm. later on in the, in the war, we also understand that after their defeat, there was another ravage of something disease mm-hmm. that seemed to finish off a great deal of the uh, Athenian soldiers. That's true. And because of the... It was interesting that, the, that it did affect the Athenians so much more than the Spartans, but again, that could be very, very well attributed to the trade network and the, the naval power of the Athenians, but um, it made a lot of Athenians sort of question, and this is early-ish days of the Peloponnesian War, I mean, as, as Gord said, it did go on for another 23 years, but it did make a lot of people question Athens' position in the war, because people were wondering, you know, very, very devout, very pious, they were wondering, you know, is this a plague was it sent by the gods and because the Spartans aren't getting it are they the favored in this are they the favored ones in this war what does this mean for the outcome I mean there was one later on there was a, an, a, a trib, the, why the Spartans were seemed to be immune to that particular disease it was actually attributed to the consumption of garlic really yeah I, I hadn't heard that, <laughs> that, that, that we, the interesting thing is we're not really sure if there's actually a historical basis but it certainly was propagated later when smaller outbreaks where uh, garlic is not a particularly expensive thing to grow, no. but for those that do grow it, usually on the lower you know, end of the economic level, uh, there seemed to be a marketing campaign to get garlic consumption up during other outbreaks because they used to say that the Spartans had endorsed it because they themselves had ate more of a particular type of garlic than the Athenians. Huh. And that's why they were protected. So it shows you that even back, uh, you know, 400 years BC, there were endorsement, uh, you know, contracts out there by advertisers who were looking to get yeah. to lock on to the latest uh, trend. In this case, it was a plague. Well, and, and it's interesting that you bring up this type of garlic, or the fact that the um, the Spartans, at least, or it has been attributed that it might this garlic might have had an outcome and was the reason why the Spartans. It was were much later, than, like oh, okay, more so than fifty, sixty years later. Okay. Than it so seemed to be a mar- one of the world's first marketing campaigns. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> there's well, what was it? There's a, wherever there's chaos, there's opportunity. Or that's right. Like that. uh, but I, I find that interesting, and I wonder if there is any kind, you know. We only have theories about what the disease might have actually been. That's I right. I read that it, uh, it's estimated it might have been typhoid, or it's, sorry, it's thought to have been typhoid fever. So I wonder if there's any sort of modern scientific evidence to support the fact that there's something in garlic that might help. I mean, we know from much later point in history when sailors were first exploring the the, the new world, and as the world got a lot bigger, um, sailors uh, it was very common that they would come down with scurvy, and then they realized, well, as long as we eat these oranges. Or any kind of citrus source. At, yeah. At first, though, it was it was just oranges. It was. So eh? they were only. I think it might have been might have been lemons, but it was. I know it was one particular type of citrus anyway. So that was what they kept on bringing with them, and it slowly came out that oh well, oranges work, but so do lemons and so do grapefruits, and now we know that's because of the high content of vitamin C. So, hence the I, phrase for British sailors is limeys. Yeah, that, exactly. There you go. Um, so I, I just wonder if it might be if there could be some kind of parallel between the citrus with the British sailors or um, uh, uh, explorers in the seafaring age and the Spartans with their garlic, if there might be some kind of scientific reasoning behind that. Yeah, well, certainly with any plagues or any major disease outbreak, such as the one we're experiencing here in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, its, it's uh, incubation period and its basic 
time that it affects human beings is usually less than six months. Yes. Uh, it is interesting that a couple of the ancient ones seem to come and disappear and come again. We know that's with the Black Death, the great uh, bubonic plague, mm-hmm. that it came in several waves. And then the most recent one, which is a virus. See, the, the thing about you mentioned is in the ancient Greek, it probably was a bacteria mm-hmm. that caused right. the plague. Whereas most modern ones that have come in the last 400, 500 years appear to be viruses, mm-hmm. uh, which has been described by scientists as the fact that viruses can mutate faster than we can develop uh, antibodies, antibodies and, as a human species. Now we have the capability if we get a mild exposure, mm-hmm. that's the great, or we get inoculations now. Of that's course. right, yeah. But it is interesting that uh, the, 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 the Roman Empire did not really experience significant numbers of plagues, with the exception of the one at about 225 mm-hmm. AD, uh, where it came and it seemed to cause some disruption. They called it the Cyprian uh, plague. Uh, it wasn't as severe as other ones before, but it certainly mm-hmm. created disruption in the Roman Empire. However, Rome itself, as a city, uh, did have some outbreaks here and there. They did have some problems, but we also attribute the fact that they had created this very, very extensive running water system through the aqueducts mm-hmm. was the elimination of waterborne diseases. They may not realize that they were doing it at the time through their engineering, but Rome seemed to have particularly disease, uh, any any diseases that we report broke out appear to be more of viral kind of symptoms mm-hmm. than would be the traditional bacteria-based symptoms. That's true, yeah. A lot, I think, if I remember correctly, with ancient Rome, it was more likely to get something that was uh, like a, a respiratory infection or that was passed That's right. through respiratory uh, contact. And also tight living conditions in some of the yes, slum of areas. Course, yeah. yeah, you'd have those kind of stuff. Yeah. It's interesting that just simply not understanding... Um, Germ theory, or mm-hmm. just understanding how to, you know, wash your hands mm-hmm. and, and those kind of things like that bit. I always make a joke uh, that uh, had Moses gone back up into the mountain to get Ten Commandments, maybe maybe he could have brought down another 11 or 12. <laughs> One of them could have been wash your hands before you do anything medical yeah. and before you eat, because it would have gone a long way to save a lot of people in human history. Well, there's a lot of that going on right now, too, with COVID-19. I'm we, seeing a lot yeah. of it just... Wash your hands. That's going to go a long way to making things better. Uh, for our <laughs> listeners, I actually saw today, and I am—I wish I got my phone out fast enough to take a picture, but a guy walking in the streets with four or five full grocery bags of nothing but toilet paper. <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> See, and that's really annoying to me because I did my regular groceries last week, and I'm just straight up running low on toilet paper, and, and there right. was none. It was so, gone. <laughs> so the interesting thing is to look at how did people respond during a time of mm-hmm. plague. There was at least enough of an intuitive sense that contact with people was somehow passed it on. Yeah. Now, in ancient days, of course, people attributed to bad spirits and bad will from the gods and all that kind of stuff. But there was this sense that if you give yourself some distance, uh, it would fade away. So, gracefully, the Roman Empire during this time, from roughly 300 BC to 400 AD, did not seem to have any particular huge outbreaks, with the exception of the one that was around the year 224 AD. However, after the Roman Empire split and the Eastern Empire, particularly under the reign of Justinian, that's when the world changed. Yes, absolutely. Justinian's plague in 451 well it began in 451 of the current era that was that was a monster <laughs> it is it is actually by historic his, historians that also like to look at the impact of natural re- forces on human beings including disease 
this was a big one. This seemed to wipe out over 50% of the population. Mm -hmm. Even the previous plagues, even the one in Athens, was maybe 10 to 15%. So we realize, oh, this is a game changer in terms of uh, societal stability. Yeah, the the numbers that I found is that um, it looks like... So, at the time, the estimates were that 10,000 people were dying every single day within the city of Constantinople. Now, by modern estimates, you can cut that number in half. But still, 5,000 people per day is a lot. Huge. And and by the end of its run, uh, about 40% of the population of the city. And again, this is just Constantinople I'm talking about now. 40% of the population of that one city was gone by the time the plague had run its course. Now, Justin himself got the plague. He contracted, yes, was yeah. sick, and he did recover. He did. But he was also visibly scarred mm-hmm. uh, from the effects of the disease for the rest of his life. And we are aware from a historian's comment that there had been a shift in his personality. Yeah. He became a much uh, more broodier person, uh, as reported, uh, during the second part of his, uh, his reign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's uh, another example that was uh, Caligula, who we'll, we'll get to in more detail in uh, another topic. That's right, but, another episode. Um, but... To draw a parallel, he when he first became emperor of, of Rome, uh, it was thought he was going to do a very good job. There was a lot of really positive things he was that doing, true. good steps he was taking at the beginning of his reign, and then he got sick with something. Um, we're not really sure what, but he was in a coma for a while, and it was after he came out of it that he, to put it politely, went crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that... That would be attributed to some sort of madness of the gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, uh, that was the best way people would look at explain it. Yeah. But it is interesting that that individual illness would actually change history. Yeah. Because he would end up being such a <laughs> interesting emperor. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> that he would be assassinated. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about assassinations in another episode, mm-hmm. and so sort of the role they've played. But it certainly set a precedent as well. Uh, that continued on a long time. Yeah. During the uh, what they call the third century, or the year between roughly 226 and 285, in Rome as well, there was, uh, as you know, a great deal of turnover in administration. Uh, we also recognize that there seemed to be a series of small outbreaks, mm-hmm. and one of the things that's attributed to that is during that time, since there was no public money really being spent on public works, the aqueduct system was having some problems. And obviously, like any plumbing system, had developed leaks and other, other uh, actually contaminants had worked their way in. So to put it in perspective with the Roman aqueduct system, it was a big deal. It's, by, some, by some standards, it's, it's considered a greater feat of engineering than the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. The Colosseum. Yeah, exactly. It, the, you look at the Colosseum and some of the big, big buildings that Rome did, the big construction projects, the aqueducts are the number one that they did. There was more water flowing in and out of ancient Rome than modern-day New York City, and some of those sources of water were over 100 kilometers away, and they would just use gravity and engineering to get it to the city. It was a huge, huge Absolutely remarkable. I mean, it's in in taking just a little trip to the east, in the ancient Chinese empires, uh, the construction of the Grand Canal Mm -hmm. has often said is a far greater and a far more involved project like, it literally involved more manpower to do than the Great Wall of China. Mm-hmm. And it was also a 1,700-kilometer waterway that flowed. Yeah. And so, generally speaking, the water was being refreshed and as a source of drinking water for the cities along the way, which you can still see on a map today, how the cities just are like a line of jewels along the map, uh, along the waterway. Uh, they, they, th- they thrived. 
China certainly is a place that has reported, at least, far less uh, disease outbreaks in its history, at least disease outbreaks that would have a catastrophic effect. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, though, to know that there's a general concession uh, uh, agreement that the bubonic plague, which we'll finish off talking about in 1347 to 1351, the Black Death, Mm -hmm. which unprecedented. There is nothing in human history before or since that matches the scope of the sheer destruction that this disease, it emanated out of China. We believe it was, I mean, we can see the historical record, how systematically from the East over into the Middle East and finally into Europe, each year as the trader ships would come in and stuff, that disease we know is carried by rats and fleas. Well, and it's it's also thought that, uh, because the research that I've done actually suggests that while Justinian's plague came long before the Black Death did. It's the Black Death was not a descendant of Justinian, Justinian's plague, but uh, the two strains of bacteria are related, so they might be from the same family. And uh, Justinian's plague also originated, or we think we think that it, it originated somewhere in Central Asia and made its way yeah. uh, west towards the Byzantine and Roman empires. I mean, certainly from the European civilizations, it would appear that it came from the east. Mm-hmm. It was a curse that came from the east. Yeah. So, it's it's. And I mean, today we deal with it, so we're going to talk about how this is relevant to our day today as we wrap up this episode. Mm-hmm. It's, of course, with uh, COVID-19 spreading around the world. We are speaking uh, in March of 2020, and we recognize that we've been notified that not only is major sports in North America being shut down, mm-hmm. we've got a school system that's going to be shut down for three weeks. Mm-hmm. So obviously we have today with our transportation network, people flying all over the world. I mean, at any given point in a day... There's roughly half a million people in the air Mm -hmm. and roughly three and a half million people travel every day around the world crossing this planet all over. That's a totally different vector risk now mm-hmm. than it was in the ancient days. Well, the, the ability for, the, for viruses and for epidemics to spread globally is now, the scale is unprecedented now compared to what it used to be. So we're going to see a very dramatic effect. Uh, we're seeing in the last few days of this record, before making this recording, that there has been some major policy announcements uh, curtailing uh, income, uh, sorry, incoming and outgoing travel. Uh, the United States, of course, has made announcements as well. This is interesting because with the world able to communicate with itself, we're actually in a better position to deal with the forces of nature. And one of these is, of course, sometimes these spontaneous uh, developments of diseases that figure out the right code to come along and take out a good number of human beings. Mm -hmm. Well, that's our episode for today. Hope you enjoyed our discussion about plague because we're going to be continuing this discussion next week. There's There's a lot throughout history to discuss when it comes to epidemics, unfortunately. That's true. We will be at, we'll come back on part two. (laughs) So you've been listening to Ancient Answers. Thanks for taking time to listen, and we would love to hear from you. Uh, Visit our social media links to help support the program. My name is Shane. And I'm Gordon. And we will catch you on the next episode of Ancient Answers.